0: Well, good morning. It is good to be with you, and it's very good to have you with us. We have visitors, and we're so grateful that you've come to have fellowship with us in the worship of God. And it is always a blessing for God's people on the Lord's Day to come together and join their hearts, their voices, their minds, in praise of our Creator and our Redeemer, and to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do. Well, we live very busy lives. Our lives are filled with responsibilities, they're filled with obligations and all kinds of different activities. And as a result, so often it leaves very little time for quiet times, for still moments in our hectic schedules. To the point that some people today, because just the cultural influence and the technological influence, that even when we are sitting down, so-called resting, you know, we've developed the habit of, well, we've got to turn the TV on, or we've got to turn the radio on, we got we got to have some something in the background. Or even, well, we're going to pull out our cell phone or our iPad or whatever, and we're scrolling through media, or we're going to make sure we're going to listen to a podcast. And then you think about motion and sound have become masters of many pe- people's lives. And then some of that is just cultural. You know, we, it's the world we live in, and it's, all of that is not bad. You know, I'm not saying all of that is just a terrible, sinful thing to ever do but it does just fill our schedule with busyness. And younger generations think that every free moment has to be filled with going somewhere or doing something to basically captivate our attention and to kind of settle the sense of restlessness that we have. And generally speaking, it's not just our kids. (laughs) <laughs> that are that way today. There are some that are still the younger generation that are not so young anymore that wrestle with that. And so as a result, you know, myself include, we are guilty, for many of us at least are guilty, in a very genuine and real sense, there's no personal time for God. There's no personal time with God, even religious people can get so caught up in the busyness of church-sponsored activities that often will simply satisfy our fleshly interest, our fleshly wants, but yet we're busy in church stuff, and there is no quiet times in our life. So in a world of chaos, in a world of clutter, we need to pause. We need to pause to listen. We need to pause to listen to God in order that we may come to a true knowledge of him. How well do you know God? I'm confident you know God. But the question is, how well do you know God? How well do I I really know God? Because a failure to know God, a failure to come to a knowledge of God and have a, a growing knowledge of God, that failure of knowledge of our creator and of our redeemer has some very dire and very seriously eternal consequences. And one passage that illustrates that and brings that out is over in second Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight, when it talks about people who do not know God and what will be their eternal consequence. So how well do you know God? Or maybe another question I could ask, how do we come to know God And particularly, how do we come to know God by being still? I want to open your Bibles this morning into Psalm 46, and we're going to read that Psalm. I'm not going to use your PowerPoint today, because I want you to look at your Bible even sometimes, if you think about our technological blessings of using such a thing as a visual aid to help our learning process, even something that's an aid and a help sometimes can become a distraction. And so sometimes we just need to pause and we just need to listen. And so please open your Bibles, even if it's a digital one, open it up and let's read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not fear, though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride... There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, and he raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought the desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth and he breaks the, the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. With all of this world's uncertainties around us, surrounding us, and yes, we are sensing that more and more, I think, among ourselves as believers, that there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, in our country, and sometimes even in our neighborhoods. And yet, this psalm reminds us that in the midst of all of that going on, comfort and strength are found where? Well, they are found in God. That's where you'll find your strength, that's where you'll find your comfort. The God who does not change, the God who is near, and the God who is able, be still and know God. Very quickly, just kind of giving a, a bit of a, a, of a summary of what you have in this psalm. And the first three verses basically emphasize the idea, God is the refuge. He is our refuge, but particularly, he is our refuge in times of crises. To the point that even if the world is turning upside down, when we are properly rooted in God, we don't have to be afraid. That verses one through three. God is our refuge in times of crises. And then in verses four through seven, it emphasized the idea of God is the stronghold. He is our stronghold against outside forces. And so as we face those kind of things, yet we are still able to find gladness and stability because that's where. You know, those things reside with God. If I want gladness, and if I want stability, it's not out there. It's in God. It's with God. And so, that's where I need to be. Be still and know God. And then thirdly, as you pick up in the last section of uh, uh, verses, those stanzas, in verses 8 through 11, and then emphasize that, okay, now God is peace, and through history, particularly as you think about your knowledge of God's story to you, God's account of what he has done through the ages, throughout that history, he has demonstrated to you and to me such. That in him, it will be your peace through the deliverances, through the victories that he showed his people time and time again. And so... Our emphasis this morning would be verse 10, that phrase, be still and know God. And so in a sense, he's saying, relax, guys, and let God do what he does best. But what happens is we, we live such hectic lives, such busy lives, that we're not still enough or we're not still long enough to know God in a deeper, intimate way, on a personal level, you have an exhortation there in verse verse ten, where you have the command to the follower the, of God, the child of God, to the believer. He says, "Be still." Uh, New American Standard versions use the phrase, "Cease striving." This Hebrew word literally means to slacken, it's basically to lighten up. And so there are some other definitions. If you took the time to look, it up, look them up in a, a biblical resource, you find words like to abate, to cease, to forsake, to leave, to let alone, to stay. So those are some other concepts that help us understand what this Hebrew word is trying to communicate in the sense okay, this is what's going on in the world. Be still. Some of the versions that we have, English version, will use things, words such as be quiet, quit, cease striving, be silent, slow down, get off the treadmill, and stop. And the point is, in the midst of upheaval, and that's what you described in this short psalm, a lot of upheaval is going on, but in the midst of all of that upheaval, Even if the world is falling down around you, and we don't have to talk about the world in its entirety, maybe it's our own personal world. (laughs) So even in our personal world, if the world is kind of falling down around us, God's instruction to us is be still. Just stop for a while here. And come to know me better. Now, what we need to understand is, however we describe this challenge, and this is really a challenge, because this is not easy to do, (laughs) this is hard for us Americans, who have basically been brainwashed by capitalism, you know, and by technology, you know, that everything has to be quick and fast, and we have to stay busy, you know, and we got to fill every second with something and it was interesting and we're never it's never enough is it it's never enough but it doesn't mean when you this idea of okay lessen your activity you know uh, reduce the tension you know loosen and be moderate about it's not saying do absolutely nothing that's not the point here and how can we know that well he, he's the very command to know god That that instruction, that command, that endeavor to know God requires persistent and diligent effort. You're not going to know God by getting a recliner and going to sleep. That's not how you know God. So he's not talking about, you know, doing that kind of inactivity. But he is calling each and every one of us to a stillness. In our life, a stillness that calls for the idea I need to still my body. But it's not just the body that we're being called to do here. I need to still my mind, I need to still my heart. In its total sense, in, its ap- you know, like in all kind of way, I need, I need to s- find moments where I still myself so I can come to know God better. You know, we, we cannot and we do not hear or listen or learn well if we're constantly caught up in the the torrents, the, the ways of this world's cares and concerns that just kind of crash against us, our life's activities that are, you know, that kind of involve rushing here and rushing there. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we don't listen well in those moments. We catch bits and pieces. And God doesn't want us to have just bits and pieces of him. He wants us to know him individually. Yes, we need to know him congregationally. We need to share him with each other congregationally. But each and every one of us individually need to be still so that we can know God. And the reason why, because this this quietness, this kind of cessation of things, that's essential if we're going to know God fully. If we're going to know God more deeply than we have in the past, we've got to be still. There's a sense where we must stop what we're doing, not stop living, not stop being responsible, not stop, you know, fulfilling your obligations in a Christ-like way. No, but there's a sense we must stop what we're doing and focus and concentrate on who God is is today is a national day of honoring dads and this lesson is not just for dads but i was thinking about that fact this morning that perhaps dads especially dads especially need to learn to be still Granddads need to learn, especially to learn to be still so they can show to their children and their grandchildren and to those that love and care how to be still and know God. So perhaps this lesson has a a unique application today. I didn't prepare this lesson because it's Father's Day, but it struck me this morning. Wow. Yeah. I could have done a better job as a father in raising my kids and demonstrating a greater stillness in my personal relationship with God and growing in him. I could have done a better job. But, you know, even preachers get busy in the busyness of being a preacher and husbands and the business of being the head and the provider. We get busy doing all the things we're supposed to do that we almost remove all those moments and doing what God says to the psalmist of chapter 46. Be still. Stop what you're doing for a while. And take some time getting to know me better David knowing God is a life endeavor you're not going to learn it overnight and probably we're not going to learn all that we need to know in a lifetime we will we will not learn everything that we need to know and everything that God has revealed and shown us in the lifetime that we have but we need to be endeavoring to do that but it's going to take this effort of still moments and whatever, you know, and like I said, you know your schedule and you, you know what, you know, you got to figure that out yourself. <laughs> but we all need to be still so that we can know God because that is an endeavor that we are called to, to do and achieve. Take, for example, in in the prayer of Jesus in John 17, there in the upper room, you have a long prayer by our Lord before he's betrayed and crucified. As he's there with with the apostles, you know, the the chosen ones are going to be sent out to the world. And in that prayer, kind of at the beginning of it, he says this, this is eternal life that you may know, that they may know you. He's praying for his apostles. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yeah, well, yeah, doesn't, doesn't Peter, James, and John, and don't they already know God? Well, on one level, yes. <laughs> but they need to know God more. They need to know God Better. Another example of the importance of this endeavor of knowing God, and the challenge that it is for us to do that, and then over in the second epistle of Peter, the very last verse of this short letter, the very last verse as the Holy Spirit's instructing you know, God's people through Peter's uh, you know, writing and his closing exhortation, he says, grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, don't those Christians know Jesus? Well, yes, they know Jesus. But they need to know Jesus better. And they need to know Jesus more. And well, how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to have to be, have still moments, quiet moments, where they're endeavoring and seeking to know him There's a lot of people in the world today who profess to know God. And they do know God or know Jesus in one level or another. They have some knowledge of what the Bible says, and they have some knowledge about who God is, and they have some knowledge about who Jesus is. But it's interesting, if if you think about that, just because they have some knowledge, it doesn't mean they really know God. Let me illustrate that with one example. Over in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, Bill did a good job directing our thoughts there in those opening comments about the word of life and the fellowship that we have with him and and the access we have with him. And the letter of uh, this letter of John is all about, you know, that fellowship and how 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 should that be manifested and how can I have confidence in that and what should that look like. And so John is writing Christians so they can know God better and they can know Jesus better and know more confidently about what that fellowship of knowing God is. But notice just very quickly in verse four, you know, to illustrate that a lot of people may, may know God on, in one level, in one way, but, it, but the spirit will say, but you really don't know God. And so he says in verse four, the one who says, I have come to know God and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's very strong words. You know, we, some of us, say, like, oh, that's even kind of harsh, Yeah. You know? Someone who professes to be a believer and has a knowledge of 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 the Bible on some level, and yet the Spirit looks into their life, it looks into their heart, you know, and the Spirit and the Son and the Father says, "You say you know me, but your life is telling me a different story." Based upon based upon that person's actions, that person that may be a believer and has a knowledge of, God said, but you don't know me, really. And why? Well, well, maybe they were not still enough to come to the right knowledge. Or maybe they had too much clutter in their lives. Their hearts and, and their thoughts were just constantly in chaos. Maybe that w- was you know, part of the problem. I don't know. God is the judge. And God is the one who knows the hearts of all men, not me. But this knowing God, this knowing God is, it's its so much more than simply an academic exercise. It's not just an academic exercise. Neither knowing God is, is it simply just regularly reading scriptures. Do I need to read the scriptures? Yes. And do I need to read them regularly and and constantly and without ceasing, yes. But it's more than just reading the scriptures, and also it's more than just having the ability to recall Bible facts. To be able to recall all these important little things of what the Bible says or what the Lord said here, is or there, and you, you know, is 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 that is that. Important that we have the kind of knowledge that we have recall and, and, and memory and we can use that to, to serve the Lord and to tease it. Yes, that's important, but it's more than just. Knowing God is more than just those kind of things. It's just a portion of it. God has revealed himself to us through various means of his communication. He's done so, so that we may have the ability and the opportunity to foster faith in God. God has revealed us in an order that you will believe in him and believe in the son and believe in the spirit and in turn, love him fully. It's not just, you know, knowing him is not just an academic thing. It's not just about, hey, I, uh, I'm really smart. I can remember all the stuff the Bible says. No, there's a lot of unbelievers who can quote the Bible, but they don't know God. They don't know him. And so our, de- our endeavor here, as suggested in Psalm 46, is that we need to know the person God we need to know this perfect eternal being who is described to us throughout the scriptures as holy and just in love and light. We need to know him in that way. Such knowledge, because it's a, a knowledge that involves a relationship, it involves a fellowship, such knowledge involves, in a sense, a personal acquaintance. Obviously, we have, not, you know, we have not shooken hands with God. But there is, in a sense, I've got to become personally acquainted with God by being still and listening. I need, I need to be his friend. But also that involves an inner affinity. You know, there's a complexity to this. And it involves a sense of an interchange of deepest feelings and experiences. It's not simply a subjective thing. It is very objective, but it needs to be on a very personal level. And that's why the psalmist, by the Spirit, in the midst of chaos and clutter and upheaval and uncertainty in the world and in people's lives, he says, Stop and know God. Faith is not just what we believe. Faith is not just what we believe. Faith is also in whom we believe. Both are important, but it needs to start with the whom, the who. That needs to be the foundation. Faith in who God is. And then our faith grows to believe what I need to believe. And what? I need to do and how I need to live. For example, in Second Timothy chapter one, Second Timothy chapter one verse twelve, it talks there about Paul using his own life as a personal reference, and he says, "I know in whom I have believed." Now recall, this is Paul's last letter that he writes before he's martyred for Christ. And so that is in his, that's in his thought. You know, that's in, that's in the foreground, the near foreground of Paul's life. And so if you think, if you think about that, and then, and he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of my suffering. I'm not ashamed. Why? He says, for I know, I know. Whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We need that kind of knowledge. If you recall, uh, on the occasion back to the upper room in John 14, you know, Jesus says, Hey, you know, you've seen the Father. And the, and the apostles are a little bit, you know, they're, they're a little perplexed about that statement, you know, and, and Thomas went, well, well, you know, show us the Father, Jesus. And he didn't quite get it, and the others didn't either. And Jesus then comes back there in verse 7, 8, and 9, and he says, well, Thomas, have I, have, I, have I been here with you this long? And you don't know? You spent time with me, and you don't know God? And so, obviously, time with Jesus is necessary, but it needs the right kind of, of, of time with Jesus. And it needs to be the kind of t- uh, time with Jesus where there's a stillness, and we, and we, and it, and we know, and, oh, wow, I get it now. It produces the knowledge of God that is necessary. Very quickly, I want to go through three things in Psalm 46 that kind of brought out, just kind of picking, picking three points about God, you know, and why we're told to be still, why we're told to slow down, relax, you know, God's got this, you know, let him do what he's going to do and trust him, trust him in your life and live a life of trust by entrusting your life to him. And the first one is there in verse 8. In verse 8, when it says, you know, the idea of come, behold the works of the Lord who has brought desolations and the earth. And the idea is we need to be still and look at God's works. And there's a number of ways you can look at this, but what is emphasized in this little section is the idea of God's judgments, Men either forget or they fail to remember or fail to consider that God throughout time has executed judgments on earth. You know, Peter makes that point you know, in 2 Peter chapter 3 where people are gonna start mocking about the promise that the Lord's going to come back one day and say, hey, it's, nothing's happened yet, and the Spirit has Peter recall, you know, well, what did God do with water one day? Did you forget that? And the point is, is you need to, we need to behold the works of God. And so we need to behold the works of God found in scripture. We need to behold the works of God that we see in the created universe and realize the Lord of hosts is the one who raises up and brings down nations. And so he says, pause to ponder, ponder this reality. Be still and behold God's works. This should have some very pertinent Consideration for us Americans as we start feel this greater concern in the culture we live in. He says, "Be still. Behold God's works. God possesses the inherent right to execute justice according to His righteousness because He is the Creator. He is God, and He will and He will and He will do it in His time, in His way." And we just need to stop worrying about every little thing and let God do his job and us do our, fulfill our responsibility as light. The other one is in verse 6. And that is the idea, okay, be still and know God's voice. The nation made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, he raised his voice, the earth melted. He says, be still. Know God's voice. His voice is a voice of power. His voice is a voice of authority. It is his voice that spoke the existence of the universe into being. He spoke and it all happened. And it still responds to that voice. God still controls the universe. It is he who speaks and the storm stills. It is he who speaks and the waves part. Be still and know God's voice. We're reminded in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 that he has now spoken to humanity through his son, He speaks to you and me today through Jesus Christ. Do we listen? Do we take heed? Are we still enough, long enough, quiet enough to hear Jesus the way we should hear him? Minds are not in tune with God if they choose not to yield to his nature. Minds are not in tune and hearts are not in tune with God if they do not yield to his desires. Be still and know God's voice. Do you recall what Jesus said in in John 10, that well-known, beautiful text of the good shepherd and what the good shepherd does? What did Jesus say but a shepherd's voice and sheep? The sheep of Jesus know the voice of Jesus. How do they come to know that? By being still. By being still and listening and tuning in to that voice. And not to all the sounds of the world, whether good or bad. Because we hear Jesus instead. Finally, verse 10 Go back to our primary verse and discussion today. And the idea is be still and know God's exaltation. In my judgment, modern religious trends tend to bring down God on a level with man. That modern religious trends have a tendency to, they want to relate God to man's ways they want to relate God to man's wants and that's not what's supposed to be happening is it no verse 10 says be still and know that I am God and he says and I will be exalted not you we, did it. we need to know God's exaltation. There is none like God. And the prophets it communicated that so well. One place is Isaiah 40, where it talks about that in great length and how there is no one like God. There's not you know, And you think in the days of the Old Testament, you have all these various idols and false gods and lifeless things. And he says, That's, you know, those things are not God. He says, I'm God. You know, and I will be lifted up, he says. Because God lives in eternal glory. His greatness surpasses all. And so, like Matt expressed in the songs, at times we are inadequate to find the proper, adequate words to express the height of God's magnificence. But we need to try to do it. And we still need to be lifting up our voices and hearts and song, giving him the awe and the glory and the praise and all that it is his. But we need to know the exaltation of God to do that more effectively. And so we need to be still and know what the exaltation of God is really all about. And so, in a very practical way, what the Psalm is teaching and instructing and encouraging us to each of us do as sons and daughters of Jehovah is that we need to stop what we're doing and we need to start listening and seeing God. We need to stop what we're doing and start listening, really listening. To see God is not just an academic exercise. It's a journey, every intimate relationship and fellowship where we get acquainted with God on a level that only comes when we remove all the clutter of our life and we start investing ourselves in God. God. That takes time. Because if you want to get to some, you know somebody, you've got to spend some time with them. That takes thought. Because you've got to tune your mind to that person. That takes your heart. And so that means you've got to become vulnerable. You've got to open up to God. And you've got to Listen. Be still, God says, and know that I am God. Because truth and life are in God. Truth and life are in God. There's a lot of things in this world that are true. But the real truth... And the real life that we need to know and we need to experience and we need to have in our life is this idea of knowing God and growing in that knowledge, growing in that relationship with Him. Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that? If you do, and you believe that with all your heart, but you've not called upon the name, on the authority of the Son of God to make your life right with your Creator, we want to encourage you to do that today. To act by faith in submission to the one who was Emmanuel. The one who was God in the flesh and walked among men. And when men looked at him, they saw the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth and glory. Because he is the radiance of that. If you believe him to be that, but you've not made your right life right with him, then you need to make a decision. You need to make a decision to make a change in a life, and to come into fellowship with Him, to come into a relationship with God, to to start knowing God, so you can be His son or His daughter. But you have got to make a decision—a decision by faith that you will re- repent of sin that you've committed in your life. You'll turn away from the ways of the world. You'll confess your faith that Jesus died on Calvary's cross and rose on the third day with your mouth unashamedly before others and then be baptized, immersed in water as Jesus commands to walk a new life of getting to know God, to get to know your Father more every day and to know your Savior more every day and to know your comforter more every day. Are you a Christian? Are you serving him? If you are one who is called upon the name of the Lord, in obedience to the gospel of Christ, but you've turned from that path in one way or another, but you've not made your life right, then you need to make your life right today, this very hour. Whatever your spiritual need may be, we invite you encourage you. Please come. Make your wishes known when we stand and sing the psalm that has been selected.